You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 7 of Fantasy Film Ball. My name's Dill. And my name's Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports, and sports into something we don't talk about. And today we have a great episode for you. We're going to be dissecting Jordan Peele's new film, Nope. Uh, And before we begin, I want to just apologize. My voice is going to be a little bit grating today. Uh, I am sick right now, but we're charging forward. We're pushing through. And as always, we're going to start the show off with a little question of the week. And in the spirit of Jordan Peele's Nope, I want to ask, uh, who's the how, who's your favorite actor turned into a director? Well, I mean, clearly for me, I'm, I'm biased. It's going to be Jordan Peele. Uh, Get Out was one of my favorite movies of the year that came out. Us was really good. Spoiling a little bit, Nope was really, really good to me, and I've loved, and I love almost all of Jordan Peele's actual like acting stuff too. Whether it was Key and Peele or Mad TV or just any of the random stuff he's gotten into, I've always found him to either be the best part of what he's a part of, or he's elevating it to another level. Right. I mean, I don't think it's spoiling it for anyone to say that we both liked Nope because the title mm-hmm. of this video is literally saying that Nope is a great movie so i don't think that's going to spoil anything for anyone so jordan peele that's that's like a really interesting choice for actor turned director because i've never really thought of him as an actor i always think of him as a writer and like a sketch Mm -hmm. comedian yeah but i mean i can definitely see that angle yeah that it is acting it's just a different type of acting it's not like the dramatic turn of someone i'm trying to think of a good example um there's a lot of like i guess drama he's not bradley cooper right it's like not bradley cooper but he's He's Jordan Peele. He's he's one of a kind, and that's what just makes him so special to me. I think the thing that I find so amazing about Jordan Peele is now at this point, I I think everyone in the world now thinks of him as this great horror director first and foremost, when just a few years ago he was the substitute teacher guy. He was the, <laughs> the funny football player name guy. <laughs> like, you know, you'd see those Key and Peele videos come up. He was in Keanu just a few years ago, and now... He's, like, the biggest horror director in the world. It's incredible. It is. I mean, Keanu, underrated movie. That was just a great comedy. I know a lot of people haven't seen it, but if you have a chance, go watch Keanu. It has one of my favorite bits of all time, the George Michael parts. Um, Just a great movie through and through. Yeah. And, of course, Peele is uh, starring... Well, Key and Peele are both starring in Wendell and Wilde later this year. I know. Super excited for that as well. But I want to know, what is your favorite actor-turns-director? Okay, so I have one answer, but it might be cheating, um, okay. because the first film that this actor did, he also directed, and like I think people kind of think of him as a director and an actor, so maybe it works. Orson Welles, that's mine. I mean, okay. he's the ultimate actor-director, right? Citizen Kane. You've got all the way back then, and 
so many so many classics that Orson Welles was in and you know I think for me he's the epitome of an actor director but since he's not specifically an actor turned director like he wasn't acting first and then started directing he kind of just did both at the same time my other mm-hmm. one that I'd go with is Gene Kelly that'd be my backup choice you know There's I love, I love right old musicals I love Hollywood musicals and Gene Kelly is one of the best actors singers dancers directors ever so easy choice for me between those two if Orson Welles isn't cheating at least well I know a lot of people find joy from singing the rain and a lot of Gene Kelly's work and a movie that brings a lot of people joy nowadays that I mean I haven't had the chance to see I don't know if you've seen it yet but Marcel the Shell Shoes one is officially eligible for best animated feature which I know will shake up my personal rankings it's one I'm super excited to see I either see it uh, tomorrow or Wednesday so I'll get to see it soon but have you seen it yet I saw it this week yeah I saw it this week finally finally after wanting to see mm-hmm. it for so long and I'm so happy that I finally saw it. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I I would call Marcel the Shell is Paddington for Gen Z. Not that Paddington nice. is not okay. for Gen Z, but I mean Paddington was like this old story that uh, has been floating around children's books for like sixty years or so. And so Marcel the Shell it just has that sort of wholesome nature uh, for the online era. I, I loved it. I loved it. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. And it's definitely going in my top five for the animation category. But I will say, I think that there's a possibility that the animation branch snubs it for a nomination because of how much of it relies on live action footage. Mm -hmm. There is a chance that some people go, that's not true animation and don't vote for it. But I don't know. I'm I'm excited to hear what you think. I know. I'm really excited. That will be something that we will definitely talk about next week on the show. And you're talking about Oscars and people's top fives of the year. This next movie, it's, um, its predecessor was on everyone's top five of the year. Halloween Ends trailer just came out. Everyone loved Halloween Kills. You know, Evil Dies Tonight. It's just like everyone's favorite movie of like all time. There's a huge I mean, sarcasm there at the end. What, uh, what other Oscar heavyweights were there in 2021 other than Halloween Kills? I mean, it did premiere at a film festival. It did. It did. You know, Halloween Kills was... Okay, all being said, I did not see Halloween Kills. I did like the uh, 2018 reboot of Halloween, though. Like, I really liked it. I thought it was great. Um, The original Halloween, I love. What do you you think Mm -hmm. about... A Halloween series. So the newest reboot, Halloween, the the reboot version, that one I really enjoyed it. It, I mean, it was kind of like by the books, but like it was a good by the books. Halloween Kills was everything you don't want from a slasher movie. Um, it was very much not my speed, and I know a lot of people who did see that, and it's always a joke I bring with them anytime the Halloween like music plays or anything. It's like, there's your favorite movie of the year. There it is. There it is. And like when I went to see Nope the other day, um, we had the trailer before it, and as soon as the music starts, like this is gonna be your favorite of the year. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then it starts playing, like, oh, this movie. So I'm not very much looking forward to Halloween Ends, but you know, could always surprise me. Uh, okay, what was so this bad is about Halloween example. Kills? Like, because I, um, I haven't seen it. What What was so bad about it? So. It tries to go for some allegories that very much are in your face but fall on their face, metaphorically and literally speaking, for stuff in the movie. Um, a lot of, like, I know Michael Myers and the whole anthology is not realistic, but these newer movies, they try to make it realistic, and so much just takes you out of the movie throughout. There's a lot of times where there's a cop out or there's something that seems like it's definitely going to be this way, but then it makes a turn that makes no logical sense. A lot of the characters are just annoying. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, while I do love her in these movies, she's completely wasted. She sits on a hospital bed for the whole movie, and they cut to her because they have to. 
but she serves no purpose to the story. And the people who do serve purpose to the story are just annoying or not fun to be around. And essentially, it felt like an hour and 40 minutes, an hour and 50, however long it was, of just, we have to have a connecting movie from one to three, but we don't really have anything to say. So we're just going to have this happen for this amount of time when, honestly, none of this could have happened and we could have just gone from one to three. But no one makes a two-movie series. It has to be a trilogy. (laughs) It just has to. And, you know, might I say as well, uh, I... Just, I really don't like the trend of reboots just using the name of the original movie. Like, yeah. why the original 1978 movie was Halloween, and now you make a reboot in 2018, and you just call it Halloween again? Like, I mean, that happened to Scream earlier Halloween. this year. I know, I know. I don't get it. I don't get it, and, you know, it's... I'm not the target audience for this movie. <laughs> Maybe I'll see it if it's like a Tiff Midnight Madness movie, but mm-hmm. we'll see. I'm not I'm not a big slasher guy. But speaking of a trailer that we also both got before, nope, that's a little bit more exciting than the third Halloween I movie. I would say so. Oppenheimer. What did you think about the trailer, Dylan? So my screening of nope, I saw it in IMAX uh, Thursday night, and the trailers were turned up. Let's say the movie was supposed to be on eight. The trailers were on twelve. Um, so, yeah. like, I saw the Bullet Train trailer, and like, my ears were like piercing during the Bullet Train trailer. So, just imagine a Christopher Nolan movie trailers, sound mixing and audio. Did I make out anything that was said in the trailer? No. Did it look cool? Yeah. I'm excited to see the world blow up. And what did it say? Like, 13, 12 months, eleven months, twenty eight days, twenty some seconds counting down. I thought that aspect of the trailer was really cool. I may have would have liked to see like kind of how like Dune had it or some other movies have had it recently where like at the end of the trailer it just pops up like three straight pages of cast names. Like I thought like, <laughs> that would have been really cool for Oppenheimer so you could see like oh it has these 10. What it has 10 more names? What 10 more names? 30 people I know and, like a general audience would definitely know as well. Like I thought that would have been cool but I get this is just a teaser. But if I remember right Tenet's teaser had action or had like scenes. This was just standstill shots so that was yeah. interesting to me but i did like the aspect of the countdown clock i don't know if that cl- countdown clock is accurate to its actual release date but i think it was a really cool idea no it's totally a really cool idea and i don't know i think the thing that i'm really excited for with the oppenheimer trailer is just being able to see kind of what they're going for here with a biopic about this man who created something that could destroy the world um mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that they have with this, that it's it's clearly a grounded biopic that they're shooting at a spectacle level. Um, like, it looks like he's shooting it like an action movie, even though we know it's not going to be an action movie. This is going to be a very, yeah. like, serious drama with some big explosions in it. Um, and I love the idea that they have of making the entire film black and white except for the explosions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool to me. The trailer gave me like a, a bit of a Doctor Strange love vibe, which is very fitting. It is. I did not actually know the whole movie was going to be in black and white besides the explosions until I saw the trailer. So that's yeah, another aspect I really enjoyed. So I can't wait. Every time Nolan releases a movie, it's automatically my number one of the year. I have like a joke with some friends that I'm a Warner Brothers shill, so they're like ten pole of the year is always my number one. Like Batman Elvis. this year, Tenet last year, Elvis was up there. But Nolan's not with them anymore. He's with Universal. So 2023 marks a new date for Dill. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Maybe you'll still go with Warner Brothers next year. We'll see. I could. There is Dune, too. Yeah. Is is Barbie 
Warner Brothers? Because that's going to be Barbie is Warner Brothers. They come on the same date, I'm pretty sure. So it'll be yeah. Nolan versus his ex uh, Ooh, fight. That's, that's some brutal, petty, petty uh, bullshit right there. <laughs> it is. I know Nolan's had a history of opening against another sort of tentpole. Because I know Interstellar opened against Big Hero 6. And I think the Dark Knight opened against Mamma Mia. Clearly those aren't the same level as this. But it's still interesting when two giant movies come out on the same day. Yeah, I'm... I mean, personally, I think at this point I'm actually surprisingly more excited for Barbie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think it's Ken just going to be wild. It's just going to be wild. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. But both films, I will be there day one or before. Uh, and we just want to talk about one more trailer because... As of recording this, it is about 9.30 p.m. on July 23rd. And uh, the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer just dropped, like, right before we're recording this. So we're actually just going to pause the recording now. Uh, We're going to watch the trailer, and we're going to give you our live reaction, our live take to it. So uh, let's, let's pull that up, and we'll be right back. I just want to say this is maybe the best trailer that I've seen for any movie in years okay personally so is this you starting here okay yeah this is me starting here this is me (laughs) i'm I'm blown (laughs) away by this uh i'm absolutely blown away by this trailer um for me especially because i'd read some plot speculation and some like potential leaks of what happens in the movie and i was not excited for it but watching this trailer for black panther wakanda forever um i think that this is the it looks like it's going to be the most beautiful Marvel movie that has been released, maybe the most good-looking superhero movie that has ever come out. So I don't know. I'm I'm like over the mood about this trailer. I really liked it as well. I was planning earlier because we were talking about like what we were going to talk about today, and uh, we had this discussion the other week about Thor: Love and Thunder and Taika Waititi, and about directors that we know coming back for another Marvel movie or their next follow-up. And Ryan Coogler is my personal pick for. A Marvel director who I will always trust no matter what because their work even outside of the MCU is still top tier. Ryan Coogler, in my opinion, has never put out a bad movie. And in fact, the franchises or the stuff he's been a part of that try to continue after he's gone puts out subsequent worse stuff, whether it's Creed or some of the shows that he's written on before. And I was kind of having that feeling with, is this going to be Coogler's first fault with Wakanda Forever just because... Maybe not so. I didn't see much speculation online about plot, but I did see some stuff here or there. But just how do you make this movie without Chadwick Boseman? Do you have a new T'Challa? Do you kill T'Challa off screen? What will be the mood? And in this trailer, I got the vibe because there's a lot of shots of people being sad of crying. So I'm assuming he either dies off screen at the beginning or we come into this movie where he's already, already passed away. And I'll be really interested to see what angle they take with that. But to wrap up my overall first point, I agree. It looks beautiful. The cinematography was peak. But the cinematography also reminds me of another movie that I've spoke very highly of in the show so far. And in fact, it's my number one for picture. is Avatar. Um, and maybe so much Avatar 1. And also it had vibes of what Avatar The Way of the Water would seem like too. Because there's shots in the water. There's military. There's people coming together while also being in front of lush scenery and beautiful cinematography. Um, I know we've been speculating a lot this year, and every time we bring up the visual effects category, we go, okay, which Marvel movie is it going to be? We did a whole episode on it with Thor Love and Thunder where we were talking about, like, you know, we thought that might have been the Marvel movie and then it wasn't. Um, It looks like all of Marvel's VFX budget in 2022 went to this movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fully agree. Fully agree. um, 
I didn't think we could have a movie that would challenge Avatar for best visual effects at the Oscars, but with this trailer, it looks like we do. I I don't know if I would say it. I mean, challenge, yes. I think this is definitely number two right now for me. It, it yeah, shot off my list. Two. It's number two. And I have been saying, like, all year, Marvel's going to get a slot. What is it? At first, I was Thor trained, and then I saw Thor. I was like, no way. And we had both kind of written out Black Panther before it even came out because, like, the first one didn't get nominated. Yeah. Are they going to put give it to the sequel that has a lot of question marks inside of it? But the Doctor Strange's visual effects weren't anything to write home about. Yes, it did have some very cool sequences, but the movie as a whole didn't really deliver. But this looks like it really delivers. And one thing that really delivered for me in this trailer was the use of music. I love No Woman, No Cry, and... Kendrick Lamar is one of my favorite artists. He did the soundtrack for the first movie. I don't know if he's involved for the second one, but I love the use at the end once it's come feeling more like people are together and it's more uplifting of the use of All Right. And having the Pharrell vocals lead into the Kendrick vocals really just added a whole dynamic that I really appreciated. Yeah, music was brilliant. Also, I mean, I think that this is going to be a really big movie because as of today, it was confirmed that Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the end of phase four in the MCU. So they're going to go Quick all phase. out for this. Uh, so I'm going to be honest. Um, I thought that uh, Black Panther 1 was completely a one-off for Oscars. This has just shot up into, it's not going to be my top 10, but it's in my top 20 right now for sure for uh, Best Picture. I think it would be kind of silly to fully discount this movie because it's clearly going to be very emotional and very important. And on top of that, Kugler's had a he's had buzz for a while whether it was supposed to be for Fruitvale Valley Station Creed or even the first Black Panther so his time could be coming we've been talking about will it be James Cameron will it be this director will it be that director this could be the populist movie of the year it could and get that populist director slot that isn't always there but when there's huge movies like Top Gun like Avatar like Black Panther that are going to battle for that slot just because there's huge tech players and when you have huge tech players you know, besides Dune, because no one directed Dune. But their directors normally get recognized. And I don't know who it is. I've, like I said, I've been very high on Avatar. But depending on how this movie plays, this could take the win out from Avatar before Avatar comes out. Because they're both going to have the same campaigner. And yeah, it'll be and interesting to see where Disney This has a lot focus. of water in it. So you've got the way of water coming out a month after Black Panther goes to Atlantis. In yes, <laughs> this movie. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a duel for the ages between those two films for tech supremacy. But we'll talk about Black Panther a little bit more in future weeks. We have some quick festival news, which is Venice Film Festival has announced. Not they haven't announced, but Variety has it on very good word that a few films are going to be there, and those are Don't Worry, Darling, Tar, Bones and All, White Noise, Blonde, and Bardo. Those are basically confirmed. For Venice. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're going to know on the 26th, which is Tuesday? Tuesday? Tuesday. On the 26th, Tuesday. we're going to know. Uh, so next week, we'll talk a little bit more about Venice and about TIFF. And speaking of TIFF, we've got a confirmation that Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans is going to world premiere at TIFF. Now, I'm super excited because this is the first time in TIFF's 47 years that they're going to have a Steven Spielberg movie there. So... I will be there. I don't care what it takes. I will be there. <laughs> I'm I'm so jealous. I know I was telling you earlier, but not just Fablemans, but a lot of the stuff coming to TIFF this year is like the top of my list. So like, I'm jealous, and I know you're super excited. So I'm excited for you, and I know it's gonna be a blast. 
Yeah, well, we'll we'll have, like, a full episode. I'm going to end up seeing, like, 50-plus movies at TIFF this year, so we'll have a full episode where I'll just do mini-reviews of everything and maybe some longer reviews for some of the most anticipated stuff, but I'm mm-hmm. super excited. Uh, and in some other uh, quick news, there's been a little bit of a release date shift going on. Do you want to take that, Dill? I, I will, because I think it's bye-bye, Rustin. Um this could have some huge implications for Netflix that we will get into a little bit later here on the show. But Rustin was one that I know I was personally predicting for pretty big things, whether it was for actor or some text or even screenplay, maybe even picture. So Netflix's whole system is going to be shaken up. And another thing I think is really is maybe not a huge thing, but it's worth of note. A movie I've drafted, I think, twice <laughs> in our league is Red, White, and Water. And it's now got a new name. Yes, it's called Causeway, and A24 has sold it to Apple. Um, I think they're doing like a Macbeth thing with it, right? I think so. I think that A24 still like has producer credits and all that. Just Apple is going to be taking on all of its campaigning and release. So like, could this have a tragedy Macbeth trajectory of where it could get an actor? Here would be Jennifer Lawrence and get maybe a tech or two of like, I don't know, this movie would be a cinematography, but... I don't know, maybe it has like a writing in it or it has some other sort of tech. I'm not for sure how this movie will look because all we've seen is a few set photos. But, I mean, this was supposed to originally come out in 2020, and here we are in 2022 where it may not even come out. So, yeah. yeah. Now, you've said before that you were really excited for this movie because you really like the team behind it. I'm not too familiar with the team. So what's, uh, what's your experience with them? So, I mean, the team for me is the leads of Jennifer Lawrence, um, even though I'm not always a fan of her movies, I'm a huge fan of her. And she's delivered what, in my opinion, is one of the best performances since I've like been into movies with her role in Mother. And Brian Tyree Henry is one of my favorite up-and-coming actors. Uh, I've adored almost everything he's been in. He's been like the highlight of almost all of it, too. Whether it was Beale Street, where personally I think he should have been the supporting player that got buzz over Regina King, but she was still good. And he was the best part of Eternals for me. He delivered a lot of like emotional weight to that movie that I felt was really missing in other points. And while he's not my favorite part of Atlanta, he's my favorite part of Atlanta season three. And he has a lot of just... He can do a lot. There's there's certain actors who don't have to vocalize to communicate, and he's someone who does a lot with just his like his body posture, not even his eyes. Because I think someone like Daniel Kaluuya, but we'll talk about a little bit later here in Nope, he can do a lot with his eyes. I feel like Brian Tyree Henry can do a lot with just his his body motions and his posture, and he's someone who I really can't wait to see what they're doing. So that's one of the reasons I'm most excited for this is just to see another vessel for him to grow his stardom. But one thing I know. I'm a big fan of their previous work. I know you're a big fan of their previous work. Is Martin Who's Scorsese. Not? And we have some more news about Killers of the Flower Moon. It looks like it's probably coming this year. Which, I mean, good for me. I'm in a league sort of similar to our film ball league about the box office and awards. Like, you get points for nominations. So it's like, okay, I'll take Killers of the Flower Moon pretty early over movies actually going to the box office because it's going to rack up nominations. And the test screening seemed that it was pretty good. Yeah, some interesting takeaways from the test screening. I've read the script for this movie, and it seems pretty different from the script that I read, because in the script that I read, Leonardo DiCaprio was a supporting role. Uh, Jesse Plemons was not the lead, and Robert De Niro had a pretty beefy role. But according to this screening, uh, apparently Leonardo DiCaprio really shines. He's very much a lead. Uh, Jesse Plemons is uh, the supporting role in this, and he's great too, uh, as is Lily Gladstone. And apparently, apparently Robert De Niro is a very small role in this, which is interesting because in the script I read, he was the main villain. 
I would love to see a De Niro villain because De Niro's great in everything, but to see him really like become evil would just be like amazing. Yeah, you haven't seen Bad Grandpa? <laughs> I have seen Bad Grandpa actually. Um that was That's one of the few movies I role. saw I saw in 2020 in a theater. Um that was an interesting movie. In fact, I don't know if I still have it. It may be in my storage unit, but I'm pretty sure I have a Bad Grandpa theatrical poster. Wow. Wait, no, impressive. sorry. Not that. I'm getting them mixed up. Not Bad Grandpa. War of Grandpa. That well, oh, I had them mixed it. up. Bad the Grandpa's War of Jackass Grandpa. movie. Yes, yeah. yes. War of Grandpa. Yeah. I have that poster in my storage unit. And that has some very great quotables. How did they get Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, Uma Thurman? Uh, was it Cheech or was it Chong? It was one of them. All in this know. random movie. <laughs> good. It's, it's not good. But it, it's like... <laughs> It's, like, funny bad, like, where there's, like, it's, like, an hour and a half movie. You could maybe find, like, ten minutes of enjoyable, like, one-liners here and there. But, like, I don't know. I saw it with some friends. It was definitely worth the price of admission, but it's not something I'd be, like, go watch this. Unless, like, it's, it's one of those ones you're going to watch to make fun of. Yeah. There's there's nothing wrong with a good time killer, you know? There, yes. Sometimes you need something like that. But we've talked about the news. There's been a lot to talk about in the news today. So we're going to get on to our main topic of today, and that is Jordan Peele's Nope. Now, just to warn you, we are going to be going into spoilers here. So if you do not want to hear spoilers for Nope, do please skip forward. We'll have a time code on the YouTube video. I don't know if we can do that on Spotify. Um, I think we can put it in the description. So we'll put it in the description. So just skip ahead. And uh, if you've seen Nope, welcome to the team we're gonna discuss all the spoilery things and awards prospects for the film i mean where do we start with this do we start just going full all the way in or do we just like breeze over some yeah. stuff first before we go let's, completely let's breeze into over the, some the stuff world. and then we'll we'll give like a, a last warning of like this okay. is turn back now or else like you're gonna get spoiled for this movie gotcha my first implication of this movie is was it when i've seen it twice now uh, both experiences were a little different. One was in IMAX, one was in standard. Um, the IMAX, I had like the perfect seat, middle, centered. The other one, um, my friends wanted to get there a little bit late, so we sat in the bottom right. So I've never seen a movie, but like you're looking up like this the whole time at it. So it, it brought a new perspective. But my, my first reaction to this movie after a first viewing was, was it a get-out movie? Not really. Was it us? I thought it was a lot like the same type of things us was going for of like the enjoyment or the like blockbuster factor as jordan peele calls it i thought it delivered better one all three are great movies to me i would go like get out nope us after a first viewing but on a second viewing there's a lot of extra things you pick up in nope throughout some things make a lot more sense and you can pick up in the little cues and hints throughout that really add a lot to this movie this is a movie i feel like even more so than a get out or an us will be rewarded on multiple watches i think I think while I love Us is a movie that does not work as much after you know certain things and you go back to rewatch it, you're like, oh, I see the holes or I don't get how this goes from here. And Get Out is one of those that is really rewarded on rewatches and you can pick up on the little cues and the hints. And I think Nope is just like that as well. Can I say a controversial thing right now? Yes. Here's, here's my ranking of Jordan Peele. Us, Nope, Get Out. You know... I've, I've heard people like that exist. I'm glad to finally meet one, so nice to yeah, meet you. Yeah, here we go. No, so, I mean, I really like Get Out, but for me it doesn't fully click. Um, I think that the ideas of the film are better than the execution itself. 
mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very much a directorial debut in my mind, and I, I still really like it. For me, it's a strong eight out of ten. Um, mm-hmm. Us, on the other hand, even despite all of the dumb logistical inconsistencies, I think it's the perfect zombie movie. Yeah, uh, it's not a zombie movie, but to me, that is the zombie apocalypse movie of my dreams. That's the. Mm-hmm. It just delivers on everything I want out of that genre. And Nope, I think, was... I, I had a great time with it. I really, really enjoyed Nope. Uh, for me, Nope is like a solid 9 out of 10. Maybe a light 9 out of 10. For me, um, I know my first reaction when I watched the movie is that it feels like Jordan Peele heard people call him the next Spielberg, and he went, okay, Right on. I'll, I'll do that. I mean, some shots is, directly totally, parallel other Spielberg movies. Absolutely. I mean, just the way the camera moves, the wonders, the music. It sounds like a John Williams score. Uh, mm-hmm. The whole thing to me feels like a mashup of Jaws and Close Encounters, the third kind, uh, with a little bit of Poltergeist in there, too. So I would say a little E.T. Spielbergs, as well. Yeah, all those Spielberg classics. You know, it's just, it, it's got so much fun. Now, okay, I have a question for you, because... Personally, I was a bit surprised by this. Were you scared during the movie? I was not, actually. I think this is Jordan Peele's funniest movie of the three. It has the best jokes, the best humor. I think it has the best pace as well, which to me is something that really is important in a movie. This is a movie that you never feel bored in. Like There's movies I love and adore, like Phantom Thread, for example. Another movie that came on the Get Out year where I like Phantom Thread more than Get Out, but I think Get Out's more entertaining because there's points of Phantom Thread where I'm like, okay, I can skip or I want to check out for a moment. But Nope is a movie, and I mean, it's not a long movie. It's like two hours and ten minutes. You never feel a log. You never feel like, oh, this is run its course. And by the time it ends, you're like, oh, I could do like another 20 minutes. I could see some more. I, 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 I want more of this world. And yeah, just Nope really delivered. To your point earlier, I would say Us is like a week eight. Nope is like a strong eight. And then Get Out is like a week nine. But they're all like right there. Us was one I had a blast from the first time watching. Like you said, it's like the perfect zombie movie without being a zombie movie. And it really yeah. delivers on those, like, quote, quote, summer blockbuster feels, even though it didn't come out in the summer. But like you said, it seems like people heard all the commotion. It was like, yeah, I can do this. Universal's giving me the budget. So let me do everything I can to make the movie I want. And I feel like he really delivered. Because this definitely feels like a Jordan Peele movie. But also, it feels like your yearly summer blockbuster that everyone would like because like i can understand people who don't like us or don't like get out i don't really see how someone would not like this movie without having like the prior context coming in to be like i'm not gonna like this or there's this aspect i know i'm not gonna like because it just feels so crowd pleaser in a good way and i feel like it just delivers when everything is bringing to the table Absolutely. So something that really surprised me here is I was not scared for a single second in this movie. I think it's a great horror movie, but personally, all my favorite horror movies are movies that don't really set out to, like, scare the shit out of you, but mm-hmm. instead are just deliver on that atmosphere of horror without ever really trying to, like, make you miserable during it. I'm not a big horror movie guy, I'm going to be honest. So I love a good horror movie that delivers that feeling without making me uncomfortable so there was two scenes that i was a little bit on edge for uh without going into too much spoilers uh because i don't want to like completely spoil but if you've seen the movie you know what i'm gonna talk about there's the one scene in the barn uh about i would say end of first act beginning of act two oh with the suits 
Um, yeah, with with the suits. Uh, that yeah. one, yeah, yeah. Uh, that one got me a little bit. Uh, especially, there was one specific shot where my theater both times erupted, and I both times, even though I knew it was coming, did as well. And there is a sort of TV show that occurs during the movie, and when it goes full into the TV, there was one shot there that definitely got me. Uh, where it resembles the E.T. movie. There's a shot from E.T. where it resembles it there, right. too. And that, when that. that plays out, when that plays out there, that one really, like, that image is still ingrained in my head. But other than okay. that, I agree, where it's not, it's not going for the scares. And I like those movies, too, that don't, like, be, like, going back to our discussion earlier, Halloween Kills is trying to make you feel scared. It's trying to make you feel grossed out. Trying to put all this killing, all this just scary stuff in your face but it doesn't work but here it doesn't try and that's why it does work at times yeah so before we get into full-on spoiler territory let's just talk oscar uh predictions what do we think this could do at the oscars or is it just doa i think there's two avenues this movie takes avenue one it's ignored nothing goose egged it's not even in the conversation Avenue 2, which is the avenue I would like to see, but some things would have to happen for it to be there. It would be a player like for like the fifth spot of visual effects, cinematography, and production design in sound. Sound. I was going to I was like, "Wait, sound. You're not the, leaving Those it are sound. the those are the four I think it has a shot in. Do I think it will get in all four? No. I think its best shot actually is in sound over visual effects. But I think those are its two strongest, of sound and visual effects. Even cinematography would be third. And production design is a very, very far off fourth. But we know that Branch likes to go with stylized movies. And this movie is very stylized. And in fact, its production design is being featured in an amusement park right now because of how just notable and creative it is. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you mentioned to me earlier some Golden Globe predictions for this too. So what are you feeling for Golden Globes here? I feel like if this gets into the comedy section, it's a shoe-in for a picture. I think Kiki Palmer could be even in conversation to win if it gets to the Globes because of just how weak that category sometimes is at the Golden Globes, the the act, lead actress in a comedy musical, and if there's someone who has enough love behind them. Obviously, this far out, we don't really know that how that category looks, but at this point, from what's come out in the year so far, if this is a comedy submission, it would be one, and then stuff later throughout the year could replace it. But at the moment, depending on how this movie is received, because it did just come out two days ago, we don't have the full gauge of this is a super crowd-pleasing hit like Get Out was, or is it a little bit more divisive like Us was. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the following weeks do play out for this movie, because I think that's how it's two avenues for the actual Oscars goes. Is it a zero, or is it a two to a four nomination? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, I think it's a two-nomination movie. I see it for sound and VFX, and I think I feel pretty confident in those two right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, But now this is your last warning. Turn back now uh, or skip forward if you have not seen the movie because we are about to get into some of the themes of the movie. So last chance. Okay, so one of the things that obviously makes Jordan Peele the best horror filmmaker working at the moment i know that there was a huge twitter thread this week where someone said that he was the greatest horror director of all time and he stepped in to say like please sir i'm begging you put your phone down i will not tolerate any john carpenter slander so he's maybe the best horror filmmaker currently working and the reason for that is because he always uh puts some really interesting themes into his uh movies 
I read some of your letterboxed reviews and you were saying that you were still kind of piecing together some of the themes. So what are, mm-hmm. what are you getting out of Nope at the moment? What are you feeling like it's about? So I, the biggest thing that stood out to me for this movie was its commentary on capitalizing on tragic slash horror events in someone's life because everyone goes through certain things and some people will try to hide from those events that occur in their life and other people will embrace them. And embracing can go in two ways. Embracing as in like, yeah, I lived through this, but it's made me stronger. And embracing as in, yeah, I lived through this, but guess what? You really think this is cool, so I'm going to capitalize on it. And I think that's what um, the character of Droop really does in this movie. And I think it's a very interesting angle, which I don't know was Peel's actual intent, but the way that he does capitalize on the events of the Gordy situation and how he sells and how it makes him into the showman that he does become to then trying to use the UFOs at one point in the movie to sell his brand and try to capitalize off of this possible horrific upcoming event because he's already lived through one. So what worse is going to happen to him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, uh, I think it's such an interesting... So I was thinking that Peel was going to go in a very obvious direction here because... You know, he's talked about racism. He's talked about classism. I was, like, thinking, is he going to go for xenophobia and make a film about the fear of the other? But to me, this is a film about looking and about how all of us have become so desensitized to horrible tragedy by scrolling through our phones constantly. Like, how are Mm -hmm. we going to care and be affected by events when we see horrible graphic shit on our phones day after day scrolling through? Um, like this to me is a film how uh, about how uh, when a tragedy occurs, when something really bad happens, people are much quicker to pull out their phones and film than to do anything to help. Uh, it's a film about how everyone wants to be the one to capture something. Everyone wants to be there for something horrible, but no one actually wants to deal with something horrible. Um, and that's what I got out of the whole thing is, you know, you've got these characters who they desperately want to have the glory of capturing this UFO, getting the Oprah shot. Um, And it's almost like their whole journey is the opposite of where we're supposed to be in this, right? Like, we're Mm -hmm. not supposed to idolize these characters for, you know, going out of their way to put themselves in danger just so that they can get the perfect shot. For what reason, you know? Um, And then there's some other stuff. I know you were talking a little bit about Gordy and what he means in the movie. And to me, I think that there's some interesting like animal rights stuff in this movie uh, about how human beings have this innate need to try and control animals and try and tame the untamable. Um, and that's from the horses to the monkey down to the, to the UFO where Jupe thinks that he can tame the UFO. They think mm-hmm. that they can, you know, uh, tame the UFO and work with its nature when in reality it's, it's a hunter and it's going to hunt them. Yeah, like O.J. said in the movie, you can't tame a predator. And I think another, going back to my point earlier is, I guess to put it in better words, is trying to like risk for the spectacle because the character of Antlers does this as well, where he puts his life on the line to get that quote-quote money shot of the UFO coming from the sun. And a lot of people will, like you said from social media, they're enthused and like just completely into the spectacle that they don't realize what they're risking by being a part of it. Whatever it is, recording for the extra two seconds while this is happening in front of you when you could be going to get help or 
sitting there to watch it, but then capitalizing it after the fact. But I think another point this movie is, is like, you can't tame a predator, whether that is an actual animal or that is a person. And because OJ realizes this pretty quickly on because it has a flashback to the horse at the beginning through the television commercial. And when it's looked in the eye, it goes berserk. And he realizes like, oh, if I don't look at it, it doesn't care that I'm here. So he realizes that, but not everyone else does. And that's where a lot of the issues come from. But once they do, I think the last 20 minutes of this movie are just amazing. Like that yeah. final like setup shot with the IMAX cameras and with trying to capture it on film while like playing the predator in the situation. I think they call him Jean Jacket. Um, yeah. Playing Jean Jacket, I thought everything in that section, even the random TMZ guy that comes up, it all worked for me. And that's why I wish like we had more time in that section of the movie to go a little deeper into who was his team's, not maybe who was his TMZ guy, just a little bit more with him. And then to see, I know he's done this in his past films where you don't really get the conclusion or like the aftermath of like everything just happened. So like, what now? But... I think I would really appreciate to see the what now to see because I think that a lot of good commentary could have happened there of them saying like, oh, the alien attack didn't really happen. It was just, you were just imagining it or people hamming it up more and be like, wow, this happened. I can't wait for this to happen again so I can see it. Absolutely. I was kind of hoping that Jupe would survive and like be, uh, keep thinking that he could get away with this and get away with his act even though all these people died around him. Yeah, I. so something that I found really interesting is when trailer two for Nope came out a few weeks ago, you were mm-hmm. saying, oh man, I feel a little bit let down. I feel like the story now is just about people trying to capture a shot of a UFO. That is what the story is about, but do you feel let down? No, I do not. I feel like that trailer was a great <laughs> subversion because it gave you a taste of what was to come, but you didn't actually know what was to come. Because like, there's another movie, I already mentioned it once, but Bullet Train. That newest trailer, I feel like I have seen the movie because there's a shot that I will put money on is the final shot of the movie in that trailer. So if you haven't seen Bullet Train trailer 2, avoid it. Um, but Because I did that during the Nope uh, previews. I was like, I saw this already once before. I'm going to look away and pretend like it's not playing in front of me. But no, I don't feel like the second trailer for Nope spoiled or ruined the movie. Because yes, it did give me a little bit more sense of what this movie actually was about. Because the first trailer just makes it seem like a straight-up horror movie where they're being hunted and haunted by the aliens. But the second one's like, oh no, it's, it gives you a better feel for the movie. Like, you get it, it's a comedic tone. It's more, it's more mellow, it's more chill, but it also has that creative flair that Jordan Peele has. But it doesn't give you the whole sense of the story and all the allegories and themes that it's going for. You don't really get much of Jupe at all, which I thought his character was very interesting. I hope they don't try to spin off or... I know Peele doesn't do sequels, but I hope that he doesn't like sign up for a spinoff because I could see like a prequel TV show or something with Jupe and it could work. But I think the mystery around his character really elevates the movie because like, why are we seeing this Gordy stuff? Why are we seeing this Jupe stuff? This has nothing to do with what we're doing now. But I feel like it really adds because I love the characters of OJ and Emerald. Uh, they their dynamic works a lot. Kiki Palmer, someone who I haven't always loved. But when I, she does give a performance I like, I like adore it because she has this niche that she does really well. But sometimes she doesn't like kind of like Adam Sandler sort of, where Adam Sandler can do like certain things very well, but sometimes he has just very bad performances. I feel like yeah. Kiki Palmer's the same, where like she's either giving like a ten or like a five, not many sevens or eights, but like she she really hits like the peak of like what you can do. And as I mentioned earlier, Daniel Kaluuya can just do so much like without speaking. There's certain shots where like you're just lingering on him and. His facial movements, his eyes, you can just tell, like, 
I get what you're feeling in this moment. My favorite one was uh, when the saucer was above him and he was in the truck. He pokes his head out, closes the door, nope, and then he locks the door. I, I have to appreciate a, a good horror movie where the characters don't do stupid shit. Yes. <laughs> you know, they were all very... And I feel like nope is what people expect people in horror movies to say rather than doing the dumb shit that they normally do. Okay, one thing that did disappoint me about Nope is that we didn't see the IMAX footage that they captured at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't it all get, like, demolished when, um, what's his name? I just said it. Antlers uh, tried to get the final shot of the UFO when it sucked him up. Didn't he have all the footage, or was there an extra reel that uh, he didn't take? Because I know the first yeah, reel they put down. There, there was some reels he didn't take. But that's the other thing is that if the camera got spit out, the case of the film would still be intact. He okay. would have charged at that UFO knowing that it would swallow him. So he was going to get the shot going into it, and he was planning on the camera falling back out. So I don't well, know. That adds I don't know. More. Maybe. That adds I, I a wish. better context because I was just thinking like, oh, he just wants his money shot not realizing that he's going to die. But No, he, uh, he knew he was willing to die for the shot. That's in the end, I think, what... Uh, his character led to is that he had been spending his entire life uh, wanting to get the perfect shot uh, and he finally had a chance to and he was willing to sacrifice his life for it yeah i guess we did get to see one oprah shot there with the photo from the the circular like wishing well type thing in the town but that wouldn't have been cool and i guess that goes to my point earlier of like an extra 10 minutes i feel like really could have worked it didn't even have to be much like it could have just been a quick little newsreel at the end of like some reporter being like, oh, this happened sort of thing. But I don't know, that I, that could also just undercut everything that happened and just be like, oh, well, it's just for the media. The media, all they really cared about at the end was making the buck or making getting the Oprah shot, being on the TV for the recognition when quickly we, they both realized and vocalized like, hey, we don't care about this anymore. We just want to take this guy down or take Jean Jacket down. But do yeah. you have any final points about Nope before we move into our next segment? Nope. Nope. Well, on the contrary of Nope, I'm all yeses for Jordan Peele's next movie. That yeah. will most likely be my number one anticipated for the year. Because the only reason Nope wasn't this year is because the Batman and biased. Patents and supremacy. Just last thing about Nope. Um, I think our verdict is we both really enjoyed it. And I am looking forward to seeing it again. I can't wait to see it for a third time. I, I almost wanted to go today. I just didn't have time. So I, I, I think I should give myself a little bit of time in between, digest it a little bit, and then go back. But yeah, one movie absolutely. that we're not going to get to see anytime soon, most likely. It's still not fully confirmed, but there's very good sources behind saying it is delayed. And that is Rustin, like we talked about earlier, which really puts some ruffles in the feathers for Netflix for this award season. Because we all know of its big contender. It has some other stuff, too, but it doesn't have a clear number two. They've said what number two is. It's an odd choice, but it's a choice I know I'm a fan of. Well, the interesting thing about Rustin, so I've seen a lot of people on the internet saying Netflix has to have two in. So if Rustin's not coming out, what's number two? Mm -hmm. Does Netflix need to have two in? I guess we'll talk about that. But before we get into this, one thing I will say is Rustin being pushed means that Hugh Jackman has an easy route to the Oscars this year. And on top of that, I think that almost makes Austin Butler confirmed in the lineup. A lock. A lock. Yeah. But 
I have yet to remove Domingo from my five until I get official confirmation. Just especially in Gold Derby, I have him at like seventy to one odds. So like, I don't want to lose those until I know for a hundred percent sure it's gone. Ninety nine point nine percent sure it's gone. But until Netflix says it, I'm going to keep it there. But as we said, it's most likely delayed. But take it with a little, little, little teeny piece grain of salt, which would be for our number two in the Netflix category of someone who could dive into that piece of grain salt investigation of Benoit Blanc with Knives Out 2, Glass Onion. Yeah, so Bardo is obviously number uh, number one it for is, Netflix yes. this year. That's their number one push. But Netflix has said that Glass Onion is their second push here. So could do you think it could get into Best Picture? Picture? I don't think so. I think especially with the Black Panther trailer, I think Glass Audience chances went down even more because it's a year of 10. I feel like there's going to be like two, three populist movies in there. If you want to count everything ever all at once, because I would. I would count that as a populist movie because it passed the 100 uh, worldwide gross. So that's one. Avatar, two, sure. And then that leaves like Maverick and Elvis and Black Panther and I guess now Glass Onion and there's there's more out there. It's just like which ones are they going to take? But I feel like Glass Onion, especially if it's getting that Netflix money, which I know they're less money this year, but still the second priority of Netflix money, adapted screenplay seems pretty likely. Supporting, which I've been hearing buzz for Janelle Monet, who I personally love her with her music and her acting, would be a great recognition for me because in my eyes, Moonlight. She, I don't know how she could have got in, but I thought she was one of the strongest players there. And then in Hidden Figure, she was actually my favorite performance of the three leading ladies. But obviously, her role was a little lesser than the other two, so I got why. But this feels like it could be her time. And then, I feel like Glass Onion could definitely be a tech player. Like, costumes, editing, sound, score. Maybe not all those, but it definitely could be very stylized to get in for at least one. Mm -hmm. So... Okay, something I heard about Netflix this year, which will, will lead us into the next films that we're going to talk about, because we're going to go through all of Netflix's slate right now. But I've heard Netflix's strategy this year is apparently that they're going to just premiere everything, and whatever starts getting like weaker praise, if buzz drops, they're just cutting it. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it seems like Netflix's strategy this year is a survival of the fittest, where whatever gets the buzz will go far they're not going to try and push anything they're just going to funnel their money into whatever people are talking about and i honestly think that is a smart strategy i feel like more people should use because there's years where there's definitely like a better movie that some studios have but they've already put so much into a movie like for example we saw that happen recently where a studio just full of 180 on a movie with a24 is they had the farewell which farewell was really good but when that when uncut gems came out Everyone was raving, but it was too late. But if you premiered them both early and you had that buzz, you could have been like, okay, we should switch in September, October, instead of switching in December, January. That was just a weird year because they did premiere Uncut Gems at Telluride, at TIFF. I saw it at TIFF. Oh, and, I, then there we go. You know, but they, they didn't pivot until December when it came out. You know, Uncut Gems was... Uh, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Um... <laughs> That was a weird one, but that's what Netflix's campaign strategy is this year. So is it going to work out for them? I don't know, you know, but what other contenders do they have, Dill? What else could make that best picture lineup? If it's not Bardo, if it's not Glass Onion, what else do they have? 
So the aforementioned Bardo and Glass Onion are definitely that tier one, that main pushes. I like to call them the big two here because Netflix always seems to have a big two. Even the three, four movies are like there, but they're not really. Sometimes they do get in. Sometimes they don't. Like we saw last year, Tick, Tick, Boom and The Lost Daughter, which still had some big pushes in the above the line categories with Garfield and two actress nominations for The Lost Daughter. But tier two, I have a few movies in here which I feel like there's a very wide variety of how they could go. The first one is Pinocchio. This one, I feel like, is 100% in for animated unless it's bad. But I don't really see it being bad. But it could also get some text like Kubo and the Two Strings had. And if it's really crazy, and Netflix puts a lot of money into this, this could be our next best picture nominee that is animated. That's what I'm feeling about this one. Uh, If anything, I would say... To me, this feels more promising than Glass Onion even, because we know how much the Academy loves Del Toro. We know that even when Nightmare Alley came out with very lackluster reaction, they still nominated it for Best Picture. And Pinocchio is a movie he's been wanting to make for over 10 years. He's been talking about this project for 10 years, dreaming about it, and it's finally a reality. So... Is this going to really land with the Academy? It's very possible. And I think we could see, because this is premiering in December, we could see a last-minute shift in December where Netflix decides to go all-in on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I would personally love to see that because I feel like animation, maybe not every year, but I feel like most years there's at least one animated movie that feels like it should be a picture contender. But there's never really, there hasn't been talk in a long time because even Soul didn't get like real talk for picture. But yeah, there think, was at first, but then it died out super quick yeah. when it just didn't get nominations. But on the other hand, the next movie I have in tier two is it, it hits two fronts that the Oscars seem to like for their pictures. Two international, fronts? you mean two Western fronts. Front? Western Front as well. It's in an international movie. It's in black and white, and this may be to its detriment. But it's a remake of a Best Picture winner, All Quiet on the Western Front, from Daniel Bruhl. Yeah, pictures came out for this. Did you see those? I did, and that's what made me move it up to tier two because originally it, it was on my next tier. It looks good. It looks good. Just, I think the one thing holding it back is that it's a remake of a Best Picture winner, but you know that hasn't stopped other movies before. So why should it stop this one? Yeah, I think the for me the thing that's holding it back is that I don't know. I I haven't seen anything from this director they're very unproven and that could be a good thing because they could come out and surprise everyone but also for me this is missing from all of the rumored lineups of venice if i was expecting all quiet on the western front to be huge i would want to see it in competition at venice Mm -hmm. that that is a good point and the next two movies i have on my tier twos are ones that i feel like aren't picture players but they're ones like the lost daughter of the two popes that almost got into picture but are more actor slash screenplay movies and that's the pale blue eye and the wonder the first starring christian bale and the second star in florence Pugh. now what are you uh, what do you think about pale blue eye because this is one i didn't even know this was coming until very recently i also was in the same boat as you but i feel like it has an interesting enough angle it has christian bale who is an academy favorite and if netflix is going with a strategy this year of they're taking what sticks this is a movie i could see getting a pretty sizable backing and if it gets a audience reaction which could it could get it could become maybe like the number three like and akin to like i think this is definitely like a lost daughter type player where it's going to be and acting it's going to be a screenplay contender and it could even get a supporting interesting interesting or it could also just be do you remember when warner brothers in 2015 put all of their 
Marbles on Black Mass from the same director? I do actually, because I remember that was one of the first. That was my first real Oscar season, and I took my family to see Black Mass, and I remember leaving that I was like this stunk, and then it didn't get nominated. I loved Black Mass, honestly. Weirdly enough, I I haven't seen it since the theaters, but I remember being like, wow, that was a great movie. But maybe I wouldn't feel the same about it now. Possibly. I mean, I haven't seen it since then either. But for the the other one I mentioned, The Wonder, it stars Florence Pugh. I don't really see this one going anywhere. I see this more as just additional promo for her and Don't Worry Darling, which seems now kind of jumbled and confusing. Is she even going to be pushed for Don't Worry Darling because of the quote-quote controversy and rumors with that movie? Who knows? I'm not going to be nice to these next set of movies because these are movies I feel like are definitely going nowhere. You yeah. have I'm just going to list them off in order, and then we can go about them at the end because I feel like they all have the same fault. You have Shirley, you have The Good Nurse, you have White Noise, and you have Blonde. And my issue with all of these are either the test screening or early buzz when these movies are not positive or they're just too weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, on the test screening not positive, Shirley. Now, Regina King, she's in the top five on Gold Derby, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the test screenings for this movie uh, was this week and uh, not so good. Not so not good. Not good at all. No, I, I originally I've, could see this for like actress or screenplay and like being that Rustin replacement. But literally the day after they said Rustin was probably delayed was the test screening and all that buzz, like at least for me, went out the window. Yeah. Well, I mean, I talked about this last week when we talked about our gold derby things and I was criticizing uh, Shirley being so high. It's a John Ridley movie. You know, mm-hmm. he, he wrote 12 Years a Slave, which was a great script. But then after that, everything he's done has kind of stunk. Um, so do I have faith in this movie? No, no. no Could no, Regina no. King be good? And I did hear that she is good. I, there's some people that I know who have seen the movie and they said it was, it was okay. Uh, they thought that Regina King was good, but they don't think that she's good enough to get that push. And if it's true that Netflix's campaign strategy this year is if something does not, uh, stick, they're not going to push it. This is not getting pushed. Well, to counteract that point that you just said, because something popped in my head immediately when you said that, do you think this could be a United States versus Billie Holiday situation where it's just an actress and nothing else? It could happen. It could. But I think that there's better choices. And I think that something that the United States versus Billie Holiday did very expertly is it dropped at the very last minute so that there wasn't Mm -hmm. any time for people to talk about it. Netflix doesn't have the luxury of being able to do that. Yeah, that is true, because they had have, they have to hit their, their one to two big movies a month while you can't share your passwords and you can't watch from two different houses if you don't live in one house all the time. So, yeah. you know, Netflix is a big fan around here at the moment. Well, and because their strategy relies on they release things in theaters for two weeks and then they put it on Netflix, when it releases to theaters, the buzz is just going to go whoop, and then when it comes out on Netflix, it's just going to be there. So if they want to build up that buzz, it's not going to work for them, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So could it be Andre Day? Totally. Is it going to be? I don't think so. And that brings us to White Noise and Blonde, two movies that we talked, I think, a pretty good fare throughout the six episodes before this year on the show, where they're just, they're just weird. And sometimes weird is good, but sometimes weird is so off-putting and weird as in NC-17 and... Yeah. don't really see much but you know they both have their their angles white noise could be like a lobster and get like a screenplay and blonde could just be that random 
super just devoted fan base like a Spencer where it gets an actress and maybe it could even sneak in for like a costume or makeup, but I don't really see it, especially as the best actress feel gets tougher and tougher throughout the year. One thing I will say about the NC-17 rating for Blonde is it's not going to affect it as much as it would with other films because as a Netflix movie, the primary audience for this is not in theaters. And mm-hmm. the reason why an NC-17 rating is a killer for a movie, it's not because it uh, is graphic. It's because it's not allowed to be played in theaters. So yeah. an NC-17 rating basically means that your box office is restricted to a limited release because uh, only specific theaters can play it. So with Blonde, um, it is going to be widely seen because it's on Netflix. Now, is the content, is the weirdness going to turn some people off? Absolutely. And I predict that this is going to be the most hated movie of the year. Um, It's also going to be widely loved, but this is a movie that Netflix is marketing to people as a Marilyn Monroe biopic. They're not saying this is a horror movie. They're not saying anything. I had a conversation at work (laughs) with two colleagues who don't watch movies. Um, and they were saying, oh, the movie I'm looking forward to the most this year is Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe movie. And I had to go, nope. That's a horror movie, and it's extremely graphic, and it has brutal depictions of sexual violence. Um, and they're like, oh my god, really? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Marilyn, it's not true to Marilyn Monroe's life story. It's not a biopic. Like, You've got, this movie is going to be marketed to everyone, and they're going to watch it, and they're going to hate it. It's the same reason why Power of the Dog has, like, a 6.8 on IMDb. Because normally, the people that would watch a movie like that are the art house crowd. But being on Netflix means it's marketed to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, a movie like this, I'm predicting a 4.0 to a 5.0 on IMDb for Blonde. Interesting. Well, we won't have to wait long. That comes out in September, so we have a pretty short turnaround on that. But there's two more movies that we want to get through in the Netflix slate. They're ones I don't really know much about, so we have You People and The Swimmers. Yeah. Now, before we go there, I do also want to mention The Good Nurse, which we also are kind of writing off, but it could be Mm -hmm. a performance player for Chastain and Redmayne. Now, in terms of You People and The Swimmers, You People is a comedy with Jonah Hill. It could be fun. It just sounds it sounds maybe a little tone deaf. It's from the creator of Blackish, uh, which okay. could be very fun because uh, that show is I, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's very fun. But the uh, plot of you people sounds like it's basically guess who's coming to dinner. Um, it's a uh, an interracial couple. Um, they meet each other's parents for the first time, um, and it's like. Uh, comedy about a white family meeting a black family and what goes down there could it be great totally um but i'm not expecting this to be a player and the swimmers i don't know much at all about either uh but maybe it's one to keep an eye out for especially if it pops up in the venice lineup because i believe it's an international feature interesting interesting well that brings us to this week's predictions and i feel like some netflix stuff could pop in here so Last week, I kicked things off, so I'll hand the mantle over to you this week with your cinematography top 10. Absolutely. So we're going to take it away with cinematography. Now, how we're doing our predictions, uh, we're trying to cross off basically every category, and we try and link uh, something that we talked about this week with it. So obviously, we talked about Nope this week, and for me, uh, I think Nope has a great shot at a cinematography nomination. Is it my top five? No. But... (laughs) 
you know, it's definitely up there, and I think that cinematography was great. So my top five right now for cinematography is Killers of the Flower Moon at number one, Avatar The Way of Water at number two, Babylon at number three, The Fablemans at number four, and Empire of Light at number five. So that's my top five right now. Now, Dill, I can see you're not you're not showing it in your face, but I, I know you're thinking, why is Avatar not number one, right? I'm actually that. I mean, I noticed that, but my bigger question is, the Oscars kind of have a track record of their black and white movie, um, and Bardo I see is sitting there at number six. Is so. Bardo black and white? I thought it was. I could be wrong, but I thought I'm I saw something sure. that Bardo was in black and white. But maybe it's not. Maybe. Maybe we're just thinking of it too much as a Roma. Um, so maybe it's possible. I don't know. Um, now, Bardo... I don't know. I think that the secret to Inyaritu's films always winning cinematography is Emmanuel Lubezki. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Emmanuel Lubezki had a run of three Oscars. 2013, Gravity. 2014, Birdman. 2015, The Revenant. Uh, this film is being shot by someone else. And is it still going to look good? Totally. Absolutely. But I'm expecting this to be a little bit more of um, his style from Amores Peros or Beautiful uh, in that it's not going to be as beautiful, I don't know, as, as The Revenant or Birdman. So I don't know. But I think right now the reason my top five is what it is is just out of – I haven't seen stuff from Killers of the Flower Moon, from Babylon, from The Fablemans, from Empire of Light. Um, I'm just going off of what I know of the cinematographer's track records and what I think that the story could uh, get to. And with Bardo, because we don't even know what the story's about, I can't really put it in because I don't know what the setting is. I don't know how it's going to uh, tell its story through lighting. Whereas, so beforehand, I did have Avatar number one. Um, and I just this week swapped it for Killers of the Flower Moon because Killers of the Flower Moon had great test screening reactions. And with Killers of the Flower Moon, a lot of open plains, a lot of big Western cinematography in Oklahoma. Um, And I think that it has a really good shot of just being absolutely stunning to look at. Uh, And apparently it's very meditative and just beautiful. So that's my number one. And the main reason why I moved Avatar to number two this week um, as well is just that I was thinking to myself, are they really going to reward Avatar again? Because it already won cinematography. Are they going to do it again? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Fair point. and then Babylon number three, never count out Linus Sandgren. That's all I'll say. The Fablemans, you've got uh, Janusz Kaminski, who always uses some beautiful camera movements and everything. Now, we haven't seen anything from the Fablemans. Maybe it's not going to be the most stunning-looking Spielberg movie they've missed in the past. So, I don't know. This one could drop out. And Empire of Light, it's uh, Roger Deakins at my number five. That one could also drop out. I'm not discounting Roger Deakins, though. That's why it's still in the top five. But the test screening reactions say that the film is okay looking, but it's nothing to write home about. So I don't know. Uh, I still have it in my top five. And just on the outside, uh, Bardo, of course. I just don't know anything about the movie um, Mm. or what the locations are going to be or any of that. And since it's not Emmanuel Lubezki, I can't put it in my top five, um, basically. And then we've also got Top Gun. Could that get in? Absolutely. It's a big blockbuster with some great aerial footage. Nope as well. That's uh, pretty high up on my list. There's some amazing one shots. I love the way it pans up to the sky. I love the way it films the sky. 
And I've also got Don't Worry Darling, The Batman, as well as a few others. I think Decision to Leave is possible. Tar is possible. White Noise could happen. So, you know, but I feel right now my top five is about as solid as I could have it without having seen photos or footage from these films. And I, even though I had the Bardo comment, I still think you have a very solid top five. Like, I think we have three at the same five, but Fablements and Empire of Light are just outside my five. So, like, we line so what's up what's the last one? You've got Bardo in there. What's the last one that you have? Let me check. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I remember I did not have Empire of Light, and I don't think I had the Fablements either. Um, but, I mean, that is always a category that's very interesting because... Like you said, you haven't seen the stuff, so you can't really pick. Like that's one thing I feel about scores. Well, you're just picking off of composers and songs. You're just going like, what movie could have a song? Um, so my five was exactly. a- Avatar, Babylon, Bardo, Killers, and I had the Batman at number five. I don't think the Batman actually is number five anymore, but yeah, that is for next month to go. Through. I think Greg Fraser had his time, but I still have him, you know, pretty high up on mine. Um, but I do think do. that Top Gun and Nope are, uh, are a little bit higher for blockbusters. Yeah, I personally think Nope would be higher now after I've seen it. I think, honestly, I may have it at my five. That's. I mean, I would love that if that's the case. But we're going to toss it over to you now. It's going to be the best director category. So what is your top five looking like? So sadly, I don't think Jordan Peele's returning this year. Maybe next time that he comes out with a movie, he could be in the conversation. But my five at the moment, I'm looking at it here. I'm not loving it, but last time I worked on my director five, I had James Cameron at one. Because if Avatar's winning picture, it's going to have to win director because it's not going to have an actor or actress play. It's not going to have a screenplay. It will have text, so it needs to have this big category as well. Then I have Scorsese at two for all the reasons you mentioned about the cinematography and the test screening. This seems to be true to form peak Scorsese and peak Scorsese that people will pay attention to. I have Chazelle at three because Babylon seems to be a pretty big player and Chazelle's usually pretty consistent. He, obviously first man was not it, but like he's won before. And while we mentioned the other week, how that doesn't always matter early on, it does have a little bit of a play. And I mean, until we see stuff from this movie, I got to go with what I know Damien Chazelle to do. And he normally, even when he doesn't get nominated, give beautiful looking movies. I have Inura at two at four for Bardo, and then I have Sarah Polly at number five for Women Talking. That four and five slot was really hard for me because just outside I have Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness at six. I really wanted to put him in here. I just didn't know who to really take out. And then I have the Daniels at seven for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I have Steven Spielberg at eight for The Fablemans, which seems kind of low, but I'm not as high on this movie as a lot of people are. And then I have Florian Zeller for The Sun at number 9, and I have Sam Mendes for Empire of Light at number 10. I feel like I have a very solid 10, just my order for a lot of things I'm not very feeling well on. But, you know, as we get further into the year, because we're only in July, some stuff will start to peak its head out a little higher than the rest. Right on. I really like your lineup. Now, one thing I'm going to say is, do you think that there's any possibility that James Cameron is Denis Villeneuve? I do think there is a strong case for that, but... I did not predict Denis to miss, so I will got I will die on the saddle with that. Just I, like I like that. Be hopeful. Otis Senior. <laughs> Be hopeful. It's great. Now, yeah, I, I mean, personally I would love to see Daniels make their way into your top five. I think eventually they will. Um I think so but too. maybe maybe we're not at that point yet. And with Steven Spielberg being right there, 
I I feel like he he's got to be a little bit higher, just because even if the movie is not great, it's Steven Spielberg making a movie about his childhood experience. So I don't know personally. I would say that there's a great narrative for him. This is such a personal film for him, and it's really going to be something special. So, uh, you know, even if the film's not great, the Academy, they're going to fall for it. Very, They very well could. I'm very low on Fablements in a lot of categories right now to other people's perception. Like, I'm pretty sure it's on the border for picture for me at the moment. I don't have them in for a director, and I think I have Screenplay at five for its category. And, like, I have Dano at four, and... Uh, Williams, I think I had a two. So like everywhere where people have it super high, I still have it in the conversation. I just don't have it as high as everyone. But I feel like as soon as we get that first trailer or some more photos and like when it has its TIFF premiere, people say like, oh yeah, this is the real deal. I'll be like, okay, Fablements number two for picture and Spielberg number three for director and so yeah. on and so forth. Can I say something about Fablements? It's gonna win the People's Choice Award. I will contradict and I will go with Glass Onion for the moment. Really? Well, that would mean that Glass Onion has to be in your top ten for Best Picture. You know, I the, the more the days come, the higher it rises. When I did my first predictions, it was my number 25 because that's how far out I went. And I think it's all the way up to 14 right now. So it's it's closing in pretty quickly on that picture on that picture 10. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got my top 40 for Best Picture. So, um, And Glass Onion, is per, it's, I think it's around 16 right now. It might drop a little mm-hmm. bit after the Black Panther trailer, but... Um, yeah, with that said, I'm going to move to my best picture update. Now I haven't given you guys a best picture update in a little bit. So I'm going to rush through a little bit because a lot hasn't changed, but I'll explain when things do change. So I'm going to count down to one. So at number 10, I've got Top Gun Maverick. This is a pretty new addition for me here. Uh, I'm adding it in just because it's clearly one of the blockbusters of the year. Um, I think that Buzz is going to stay. And it's got a nice Ford v. Ferrari package. It's going to win editing. It's going to win sound. Uh, and it's probably going to win song. That Gaga song seems promising. So there you go. There's three nominations, uh, three wins right there. And I think picture uh, nomination is going to go along right with it. But it's on the edge. Then a new addition this week is The Sun. Now, with Rustin out of the, pl- uh, out of the picture, if... A movie wins Best Actor, it has to get a nomination for Best Picture. This has been the case since 2006, I think, 2007. I'm pretty sure every single year since um, Forrest Whitaker in The Last King of Scotland, the winner of Best Actor has been nominated for Best Picture. And that could be what killed Chadwick Boseman's uh, chances in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is that that was not a Best Picture nominee, and The Father was. So if I'm saying that Hugh Jackman is number one for Best Actor, then The Sun has to be in the top ten. Um, even if, you know, I still do think that there's a chance that the movie disappoints a little bit because it's not The Father, and it's not going to be The Father. Um, it's not going to be as challenging or, uh, or different or unique. It's more straightforward. So at number eight, I've got Bardo. We've talked a lot about Bardo. It's Netflix's main priority. But that said, I don't think Netflix is going to be as strong a player this year as they have been in past years. Number seven, I've got Empire of Light. Searchlight, we've talked enough about. They are the top of the game in uh, campaigning for Best Picture here. So number seven, Searchlight, uh, Searchlight, Empire of Light. That is uh, right there. Number six, I've got one a little bit higher than you. The Fablemans. Now, The Fablemans, uh, I mean, it's Spielberg, and I think every time Spielberg makes an Oscar drama, 
he gets nominated. So, uh, I mean, we saw it happen with The Post. We saw it happen with West Side Story. Uh, we've seen it happen with Bridge of Spies and Lincoln and War Horse. And, you know, if Spielberg wants a Best Picture nomination, he gets one. So um, I feel pretty confident with that at my number six spot. And it's going to win the People's Choice Award. I'm calling it now. Uh, number five, I have Babylon. It's dropped down a little bit, mostly because, you know, it was in my number two spot as the uh, expected contender, the early front runner that's going to die out right before the end and leaves everything ever all at once to win Best Picture. Uh, but, you know, I think I've replaced that with a different film. And Babylon, especially hearing that it's uh, it's having some studio troubles right now because it's very graphic and the studio's trying to steer it away from that. I don't know. I Reading the script for Babylon, it's very graphic. It's very NC-17. Um, and it's very possible that it's, uh, it scares some people away. It's the Wolf of Wall Street in Hollywood, right? So, uh, I've got it at number five. I think it's definitely a sure thing for a nomination, but I don't think it has a chance at winning. Wow, that was a voice crack. I don't think it has a chance at winning. Uh, then at number four, I've got Women Talking, which is, of course, as the news this week has reported, it's been at the center of a film festival duel because you've got TIFF and Venice and Telluride all fighting for the world premiere of this movie. Everyone wants this movie. It's clearly something special. Could this be this year's Power of the Dog? It totally could. I mean, if it's at TIFF, which I assume it will be, I'm predicting that this finishes in the top three for the People's Choice Award. At number three, I have She Said, uh, which is, in my mind, the Belfast of this year. I think it's going to get a lot of buzz. Might not be as loved as people expect it to be, but I think people are going to go, yeah, this is fine. This is fine. And they're going to go, this is fine all the way until Oscar nominations, when it eventually falls short and, you know, doesn't win much. Maybe it wins a screenplay award. We'll see. Number two, I've got my replacement for Babylon as the big studio expected front runner that falls short and it's Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I've been not hopeful for this one for a little bit. You know, I wasn't too hot on the Irishman. I thought it was okay. Uh, I didn't know that's wrong. I thought it was good. It just wasn't great. And so after reading the script for Flower Moon and not loving it, I had not been very hopeful for this. But the screening, you know, I have to go with the reality of the screening, which is that people really like this movie. So I'm putting it in my number two. I do not think it has a chance of winning Best Picture uh, because I still have everything everywhere all at once at number one. And you will all join me in that eventually. It will become undeniable. But for now... I'll just sit over here in my corner uh, predicting the butt plug fight movie to win. You know, I think there's a solid shot for that. You gave your point in episode one. If you're someone who hasn't listened to every episode, what are you doing? Go back. Episode one. Check it out. I make a great because... case for why everything ever all at once could win Best Picture and why films like Flower Moon, Babylon, The Fablemans, Empire of Light, Bardo don't stand a chance. So go exactly. check that out if you haven't because I still believe that the winner of Best Picture this year is going to be either Everything Ever All at Once, She Said, or Women Talking. And just to echo everything he said, he made great points, really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. But there's a few movies on your Best Picture list that I'm a little sad to see missing. But, you know... I know, I, I know. As I mentioned before, I'm a Warner Brothers shill. There's no Warner Brothers in your top ten. And the one I'm looking at is Elvis, because especially with the news of Rustin Fleeting and Austin Butler being my number one for actor... 
I have it at my number eight or number nine slot. I don't think it has a shot in winning, but I think it has a great shot to be that that borderline movie, just like how you were talking about with The Sun. That's how yeah. I feel about Elvis right now. Now, I will actually say, um, Elvis, for me, has moved up this week. Uh, I have ranked all of my Best Picture contenders to 40. Elvis, this week, has some news, some rumors, which we won't go too far into, but... Um, for a while, I've had Don't Worry Darling in my top 10, because I've been thinking if Warner Brothers has a movie in the top 10, it'll be Don't Worry Darling. And I've changed my tune on that a little bit this week after some rumors have come out um, regarding Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde not getting along on set, and apparently uh, the set being a horrible environment for people. Um, and allegedly, Olivia Wilde um, kind of neglected her duties as a director and didn't really show up um so i've dropped don't worry darling out of my top 10 and you know these are all rumors we do not know if they're true um but there's something to be said for the fact that this week a second trailer came out for don't worry darling and when that came out florence Pugh didn't post about it she didn't talk about it instead she posted the tra the uh picture the poster of oppenheimer so Maybe there's some truth to that, and so for the meantime, until Don't Worry Darling premieres or there's more word on it, I will be removing it from my best picture, which means Elvis is up. Nice, nice. Well, I think we had a great discussion about a lot today. I'm really liking this trend that we have here on the show where we're going over studios and their contenders for the year. We did Netflix today. There's a few options of what we could go for next week. Do you have one that you're more feeling about next week being our big deep dive? Ooh, I mean, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what uh, some other things are. I mean, something as well that I want to quickly touch on is uh, Till, which had a poster come out, and uh, I saw a lot of negativity on the internet around Till. So maybe we could talk United Artists, especially because 13 Lives will be out next week, and they've got... That's what I was thinking as well. Uh, they've got 13 Lives, they've got Women Talking, they've got 3,000 Years of Longing, and they've got Till and Bones and All. So that's five movies that are potential contenders, and maybe we'll do a little talk about that next week. Well, you'll definitely want to tune in. Like we say, every Sunday, about 10.30 a.m., we go live on all the platforms. It's definitely a thing that you don't want to miss. But I want to thank you for tuning to this episode of Fantasy Film Ball. My name's Dill. And my name's Matt, and uh, thank you. <laughs> for tuning in for Fantasy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning into to this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at @filmball. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.